Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your host, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we'll answer the question, is Tim Keller right, or does the government actually have a responsibility to punish its citizens for murdering each other? Now, on this episode, we decided to bring in uh, someone who, is, who has been uh, interacting with Tim Keller, Tim Keller quite a bit. Uh, and that is uh, William Wolf. Um, so, William, why don't you just take a minute, and before we jump into the topic today, before we talk about Tim Keller, what he said, why don't you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself so that they know um, who it is they're listening to today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be here with you. And it's an important topic, definitely, to consider. So timely and relevant, particularly for Christians in the public square. I spent the last decade living and working in Washington, D.C., in our nation's capital, where I was a staffer for a few different members of Congress, working in our legislative branch, helping draft laws, draft amendments, beat down bad bills and things like that. (laughs) Uh, Then I worked briefly uh, for about a year at Heritage Action, which is a grassroots um, advocacy organization attached to the Heritage Foundation, the premier conservative think tank in in DC. Then I spent four years in the Trump administration as a political appointee working at the Department of State as the Director of House Affairs in the Bureau of Legislative Affairs. And then I worked at the Pentagon as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Legislative Affairs, where I was responsible for overseeing um, the Office of the Secretaries of Defense's coordination and communication with the House Armed Services Committee and House Leadership National Security Advisors. Uh, So essentially, the way I help people understand this is, if somebody in the House of Representatives was mad at the Pentagon, I was one of the first people to hear about it. <laughs> I noticed. So you've been all over the place, huh? Well, in, in D.C., uh, I was all in D.C. I was living on Capitol Hill, um, but then, you know, working in the legislative, working in the, you know, sort of the nonprofit advocacy lane and then working in the executive branch. So I've seen our government sort of from the inside out and have a very good understanding of how um, the government actually works. I noticed you didn't mention uh, that you were the uh, resident Tim Keller tweet expert here in terms oh, of the is bio. Oh, is that yeah. I am also? Yes. <laughs> Tim, there's a lot of Tim Keller tweet experts out there, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
Well, tell us a little bit about um, uh, where you're at, where you're at now. Yeah. So after concluding my service um, in the administration in the winter of 2021, January 21, I did a five month um, uh, pastoral internship program at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, where I'd been uh, baptized 10 years ago, actually, April 29th, uh, 10, oh, wow. 10 years ago, essentially this weekend, um, baptized as a Christian and joined that church. Um, was very thankful for my time there. Met my wife there, had our first couple kids there. Uh, but after doing the pastoral internship as what I view to sort of bridge from working in politics towards pursuing pastoral ministry and explicit engagement, you know, at specific engagement at the intersection of Christian worldview, faith, and politics, um, I've moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm finishing my MDiv at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, also helping to you know support myself tent making so to speak um, by uh, writing at the Freedom Center out of Liberty University, and I do help American Reformer host their weekly Twitter Spaces where we have conversations with authors who are publishing uh, on a regular basis at American Reformer, which is a new uh, organization seeking to sort of recover a rich tradition of Protestant political engagement. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so. Like we like we joked about earlier, you're the the resident Tim Keller uh, expert when it comes to his tweets. So we wanted to have you on today just to just to talk about uh, what is the the topic that that Keller's bringing up. Um, and uh, before we ask you uh, a bunch of questions about what you think about it, I, I thought it guys, would... I can't hear a thing. I'm so sorry. Okay, can you can you hear us? You can't hear us right now. Uh, I, 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 I can again now. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, like, like we said, you're the Tim Keller, uh, resident tweet expert when it All comes right. to what, what he says. And so, um, before we start asking you a bunch of questions about, uh, this topic about what Tim Keller's brought up, I thought it would be helpful to just take a, take a few minutes and just read what Tim Keller has said. So everyone who is listening can kind of be caught up, um, in terms of, what it is we're even talking about. Um, so, so here's the here's the thread uh, from Tim Keller, and, and he's going to kind of reference back to um, uh, an earlier tweet that he made. So I'll try to make that as apparent as possible. But here's the thread. I recently wrote about how churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. The replies show that many American evangelicals have no coherent understanding of how to relate the Bible to politics. Here's the original tweet, and this is where he references a prior tweet that said, Churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. And then he continues on explaining in the thread, Here are two biblical moral norms. One it is a sin to worship idols or any God other than the true God, and two, do not murder. If you ask evangelicals if we should be forbidden by law to worship any other God than the God of the Bible, they'd say no. We allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, they'd say yes. Now why make the first sin legal and never talk about it, and the second sin illegal and a main moral-slash-political talking point. At the very least, it shows a lack of knowing how to apply the Bible to politics. Since we can't simply say, if the Bible says it's sin, it should be illegal, how do we choose which morals to politically champion? 
Please don't say, I just want to see the Ten Commandments made law in society. That's too simplistic, and we don't do this already. The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion, and ignoring the poor are all grievous sins, but it doesn't tell us exactly how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. We are to help the poor, but the Bible doesn't tell us which political strategy uh, to use. The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to admit to the U.S. every year. I know abortion is a sin, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end. The current political parties will say that their policy most aligns morally with the Bible, but we are allowed to debate that, and so our churches should not have disunity over debatable political differences. It is also why I have never publicly or privately told Christians who they should vote for. I have also never told anyone they should vote Democrat or or Republican. Depending on the policy, we can find more or less alignment with biblical morals. I believe all Christians should be active in politics, but it is unwise to identify Christianity with any particular party. And then he later tweeted, To be clear, the thread was not about debating abortion, but rather to see both the inconsistency in how we apply biblical morals to law and how Christians can have the same morals but different opinions on the policies that execute those morals. So, William, why don't you just start by kind of um, taking a minute and I guess just summarizing uh, what it is Tim Keller is saying here. Yeah, so I think this is what Keller's saying. Keller is saying for a Christian, essentially, it's theonomy or it's social anarchy. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that those are the two options that are presented to us um, in Scripture. And and as we can best apply scripture to the modern constitutional republic that we live under today. And that idea where he's kind of creating a false dichotomy of essentially theonomy or moral anarchy when he says, um, where he says it's a sin to worship idols. Also, it's a sin to murder. And if you ask evangelicals, should we be forbidden to worship other gods? We say no. Although John MacArthur might say yes. <laughs> and um, then, you know, well, that was what's interesting about it is that there there's not it's not true that everyone would say no, no to that even. That's right. Well, I mean, there's there's no I mean, MacArthur got dragged recently for saying, like, religious liberty sends people to hell, which he's not wrong about that as a propositional statement whatsoever. But, you know, coerced religion doesn't send people to heaven. Right. You, you know, a fake conversion at the point of a sword doesn't doesn't speak to a John three sort of being born again by the spirit. Um, go, do you want to respond to that? Oh, no, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, so, but, but coming back to Keller, he, he's just completely conflating the concept of do we have a theocracy or a theonomy slash do we institute basic, you know, basic um, moral virtue in society, moral virtues, that we understand to come directly from scripture that shall not murder. He's just, he's just off here. So off because the idea that we, he's like, well, we don't legislate the 10 commandments. Okay. But we do legislate some of the 10 commandments, you know, and some of the 10 commandments that we have seen most regularly legislated throughout the history of mankind have been the most basics, 
thou shall not murder. If you take another person's life, the civil authorities are going to hold you to account for that. That's one of the most basic principles of government that we find in scripture in Genesis 9, in the Noahic covenant after the flood. Um, the, the basic principle there is retributive justice by if you shed man's blood by man's hand, your blood shall be set, shed a reckoning and account. And in doing so, God is saying life is so valuable and so precious because you are made in my image that the only way that you can really grasp how serious it is for you to willingly end the life of another human being is that then the appropriate authorities take your life as as a judicial sort of measure in response i can pause there if you guys want to jump in but i but, think Kelly's making a real false dichotomy here yeah i think it's a real interesting um um <laughs> point that he's making in that like one of the things he's basically trying to say is that because you know in a simplistic way you can't just simply say that every sin in the bible uh, ought to be ipso facto a crime uh, it seems like he's going from there essentially to say that, therefore, there's no sins that we can fundamentally say are crimes. Uh, but then the Genesis 9 argument is an interesting argument because Genesis 9 predate, predates the Mosaic Law. And so, you know, you have a, you don't have just, um, like, you can't go the theonomy route there. I mean, that's, there's an argument to be made from Genesis 9 that basically says that, you know, government's responsibility is to protect life and it kind of boggles the mind to think about what government would be doing if not keeping people from murdering each other. <laughs> like, if it doesn't have that as a responsibility, then what exactly is it there for? Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's with, with Keller, it's tricky to kind of hone in on what the fundamental missteps and his presuppositions are. But essentially, I think it's this. He's saying that because we don't make every sin a crime, that we can't reason to the fact that there are certain, maybe even quite a few sins that absolutely should always be crimes and that aren't ultimately matters of political preferences or differences, but are things that Christians should always say the civil government should penalize. And he seems to throw that principle entirely out the window, which is why I came back and said later, Fundamentally, it's not his moral reasoning or his political theology. It's how he's handling scripture. He, he's carving he's carving sort of um, a, a carve out for Christians saying like, hey, we actually don't need to say we're subject to scripture in these matters where I'd say we actually are. Right. Yeah, it seems like if you were to if you were to take this sort of logic, this idea that, you know, when, when it comes to abortion, hey, you know, we don't know. Yes. Okay. Let's let's all get on the same page and admit this is a sin. This is a bad thing that's happening when people murder babies. But you know, who am I to say which policies are going to be the best ones to apply when it comes to um, addressing you know the issue of abortion? It seems like if you if you try and expand that to any any other uh, area of morality that that most people in society would agree is an, is actually a bad thing and they would want the government to protect them from the argument just totally falls apart. So for example, um, you know, if you talk about, uh, uh, you know, giving a false witness, so you're in court and you give a false witness. I think most people would say, yes, that is, that should be a punishable offense. We need to have very specific policies in place that punish and prevent that. And, uh, the same thing with, you know, 
um, any other kind of murder beyond just abortion. I, I think most people would say, yes, I would like the government to please punish someone if they, you know, murder my family member, uh, or just, or anyone really, you know, but then if you're to, if you're to accept what Tim Keller is saying here, then essentially it's what you said at the beginning, William, um, it's essentially anarchy, right? Because now, you know, Hey, look, we all know the Bible says don't, don't bear false witness. We all know the Bible says don't murder, but then, you know, who am I to say what policies we should put in place? Who am I to say that if one political party decided, Hey, you know what? We really, we really need to let up on murderers. You know, they can't help that they want to go out and, and kill people. Uh, so we need to let up on them. We need to lighten their punishments or maybe, or maybe even remove their punishments entirely. It seems like, uh, to accept Keller's premise when it comes to abortion, you have to then expand it to all of those other areas uh, and and say, all right, well, we can't we can't punish murder then you know, in any form. We can't punish false witness. We can't punish theft. Is that is that? Am I understanding it right? Well, as you were as we're having this dialogue, I think I want to actually kind of revise my initial paradigm as I'm looking at his his tweets here a little bit more, particularly on okay. the one where he says. The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion, and ignoring the poor. So we've got idolatry, not worshiping the one true God, abortion. Let's call it murder. We just need to call it murder. So we're talking about worship, murder, and essentially like social safety programs are all grievous sins. So that's an interesting framing. Um, I mean, yes, ignoring the poor. I, I would even push on Keller there a little bit. The Bible makes it very clear that exploiting the poor and that taking advantage of the poor is a grievous sin. I ignoring it, I mean, uh, we could quibble on that language a little bit. He says, but it doesn't tell us exactly how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. So what Keller's doing is he's throwing the Bible out. That's what he's really doing. He's not necessarily saying it's got it's going to be anarchy, guys. He's essentially he's buying into this the myth of the neutral public square. And he's making, he's making human reason magisterial and saying that when Christians negotiate as to what our government should look like in a pluralistic society, we are not bound in any way, our consciences or our thinking on what policies we would say are acceptable. You can do this, you can't do that by scripture. And I'm saying that's insane. <laughs> the, the scripture absolutely binds us in ways. Now, not in every way, right? So he, he it's funny, he, he, this is classic Keller. He grabs one that's very debatable, how we care for the poor. Another that's arguably a lot less debatable, but sort of works in his favor. We're not going to currently in the United States, the, the Christian is going to say, we must legislate at the point of the sword, worship of the one true God. But then that middle one is absolutely where our consciences are bound. When Christians step into the negotiating arena for how our, our civil society is constructed, what justice is done, and, and across the table from us, you know, the pagans say, hey, you guys need to go ahead and sign, sign off on the fact that you're okay with murder. Or they say, you can't bring your religious arguments to make this case. We say, absolutely not. And Keller say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll just leave the Bible at the door. And that, that's just not how scripture works. It's, right. it's interesting. It's uh, you know the argument that he's making is essentially because uh, there are some um, there are some some sins which shouldn't be crimes. Then he goes from there to say that basically there's no um, 
like it's inappropriate for the Christian to decisively say that any sin must necessarily be a crime. That's right. And And not only that, he's saying that not only can we not decisively say because it's a sin, it must be a crime, which we can, but that then we wouldn't know what policies or he calls them policies or what politics to employ. Whereas, you know, one of the things I responded back was, was you make it illegal. That's so obvious. Murder is illegal and then it's enforced. And, and he bought into this language and I sort of echoed his language um, and a brother corrected me on what I was doing, but I was just echoing his language. The point of justice from the government should never be zero. It's not a zero. We're not aiming for zero murders or zero abortions. That's impossible. That's what communists do, you know, zero poverty. We're saying this is not allowed in our society. And if you pursue it contrary to the law, you will face you will face justice for it. And Keller seems to miss that distinction entirely as well. Yeah. Well, you know, as you read through the Bible, one of the things you'll see over and over again is like, even, I mean, even under the New Covenant, you, I mean, you can leave the theonomy debate for, aside for a second. And the New Covenant tells us that you know, governments it, uh, instituted by God in order to, you know, punish evildoers and praise those to, who do good. And, you know, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. And it's, it seems like if there's anything that government is there to do, it's to bear the sword against evildoers. Like it, it seems like to protect the life of a citizen. I mean, that's you know, obviously what's there, you know, prior to the Mosaic law, you know, it's there in Genesis 9. It's all over the Bible. It's, it's one of the most obvious things that uh, exist. Like in the, I mean, it's the easiest case to make of, of anything. Uh, but one of the things you mentioned there is you had a response to that. He um, said, I know lynching is a sin, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease and end lynching in this country. And then you said, I know sexual assault is a sin. I know that white supremacy is a sin. I know that pedophilia is a sin. And then you said, see how that sounds. So what are you getting at with that kind of tweet? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm getting at Keller's basic operating assumption, which is punch right. All sure. the time. Punch right. right. You, know, you suspect he wouldn't be making this argument if we were talking about pedophilia. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine. Look, well, he, let's be clear. I can't imagine that he would, but I would respect him if this makes sense. I would disagree immensely, and I would, but I would respect his intellectual honesty if he was. But you would, ne- yeah, you would never say, hey, look, guys, pedophilia is a sin, but the Bible doesn't give us any principles for how to deal with it in society. I mean, come on. That's, that's just <laughs> nonsensical. You know, one brother said to me, you know, one brother said to me, Keller really should be ashamed of himself. And look, I know that a lot of guys um, owe a lot to Keller or they, res- they, they have a lot of respect for him. He's done a lot of work preaching the gospel. But this sort of, this sort of absolute mud- muddling of the water um, in terms of, uh, you know, the conversation for Christians vis-a-vis our posture in the public square is, is truly unhelpful. So, um, again, he, he, this, this idea that we don't know what policies are best to reduce, I just want to throw up a big X. No, Keller, that's not the question. The question at hand is what is just and what is unjust? And does the Bible bind our consciences as Christians to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on what is just or unjust? Letting murder go unchecked is unjust. The solution to it is you make it illegal, you outlaw it, and then you criminalize and enforce those who who break the law. That's it. We don't need to have more of a conversation. Now, if you want to have a conversation about what societal programs and what makeup of a society do the best to reduce people's incentives to murder despite it being illegal, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, But 
we need to start by making it illegal and then enforcing the illegality of such an action. White supremacy, lynching, murder, abortion, pedophilia, down the line. This, this is like, to me, this is like hermeneutics 101 and like faith in the public square 101. Well, I mean, it right. seems very like strange to think that like if someone were to murder his wife, for instance, like it, it would be kind of absurd and ludicrous to think that he would be tweeting the same kind of um, a tweet thread in response to punishing the murderer of his wife, essentially. Like, right. So that leads me to believe that like part of the issue is that really, I mean, deep down, like it's one thing to say that abortion is murder. Like if you're signing like a, if you're answering the question on the quiz, but then I, I, I do suspect that for many people, they really don't view it as murder in the same way that like murdering your wife would be murder. I mean, I can't imagine him like actually having that kind of response to someone who just murdered his wife and who gets off scot-free and basically saying, well, you know, we're, we're Christians and, you know, the Bible doesn't uh, tell us, you know, the difference between sin and crimes. And, you know, this is just a good, uh, you know, political di- uh, disagreement that Christians should have. And not only should, are we able to have, it, but it's inappropriate for us to comment on, you know, about what yeah. should actually happen, you know, with my murdered wife. But Right. Well, again, I think that Keller would create a category where he says, um, whatever the law says in our country, whatever it happens to say based upon our political consensus is what we submit ourselves to. And, and this, I want to come back to this fundamental issue. Keller's saying, Keller's making scriptural things political. And he's saying that political things aren't scriptural. So that, that original tweet that he um, responded to, um, that he responded to himself said this, churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Okay, so he has a, he has a category for a church fracturing or dividing is when the gospel is threatened. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. Okay, what's a political difference? Keller is saying our position on whether abortion should be legal or illegal, or the best way to quote unquote end abortion in our country is just a political difference. And I'm saying all of scripture screams, it's quite frankly, a gospel difference. Because if you don't understand that thou shall not murder, you don't understand the gospel. And so what, what Keller's calling a political issue is actually a gospel issue. And quite frankly, I think he's doing it because he's continuing to try to give space for Christians to vote for a major political party that supports essentially an anti-God platform of policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, you kind of talked about um, everything that that Keller is, has said over the weekend, or or you know, however many days it's been since the first tweet came out. Um, it's it's incredibly unhelpful for Christians because uh, it's it's very confusing. If you are if you're a person who values scripture and you you value what God has said, what he's commanded, what he's revealed to us, then what what Keller is saying is pretty confusing because now it's like, well, I thought I I thought that um, you know, God revealed clearly what is right and what is wrong and and it seems like for the most part our society is is somewhat aligned with that, right? So you go back to the murder, the false witness, the theft, all of those things God says are wrong, but then our country, our government also says um, they're wrong, you know, for the most part. It's not it's not right. a one-to-one exact copy, but um, so why don't you 
why don't you help out those people who are listening? Tim Tim Keller seems to say, "Hey, look, when it comes to if we want to st- you know, if we want to like stop abortion or if we think it's wrong and we and we want to uh, hinder it in some way, if you're asking me who you need to vote for, if you're asking me what sort of policies we should put in place to try and do that, you know, I, I just don't know what to tell you, really. It, se- it seems like that's kind of what he's saying with the tweets. Um, but then if you're a person who has thought about these things at all in any way and, and has not been living under a rock for the last, you know, 10, 20 years, it seems pretty straightforward. Um, but, but what do you think? If a, if a Christian is looking at the issue of abortion and they're asking themselves, hey, I know it's a sin. I know it's murder. You know, uh, we are killing... Um, quite literally the most defenseless, you know, group of human beings on the planet. And it's a mass genocide that's happening right now. What do I do to stop it? Um, what can I do in terms of the government that God has put me under that I am subject to? Um, what should I do uh, when I interact with that government to try and, and you know, uh, basically, you know, put an end to it as much as I have a, you know, ability to? What, how should I vote? What policies should I vote for? Who should I vote for? Tim Keller saying, hey, look, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. So what, what is your response to that same kind of question? Yeah. Well, first, I'm just going to say that I'm, I'm thankful that throughout history, um, many, many Christians have not understood the relationship between the Bible and our life in the political and public arena the way that Tim Keller has. I'm so thankful that abolitionists did not understand what the Bible had to say about treating those made in the image of God with equal rights and dignity. And they said loud and clear to those who were calling themselves Christians and supporting slavery that this is an anti-Christian position and we need to end it. William Wilberforce in England, many people here in the United States. I mean, it's just this, this logic essentially undermines the abolitionist movement, many who were going toe to toe with Christians who were getting it wrong. And look, we don't, we didn't live back then. So who knows what position we would have taken, but we live now and we have a chance to get it right now. And so in terms of what I say to Christians, I say that there are some very clear scriptural principles that bind us. And again, I just, I got to keep coming back to this. Keller's saying that evangelicals don't have a coherent understanding of how the Bible relates to our political life. And quite frankly, that's projection. Keller doesn't seem to have a coherent understanding of how the Bible relates to political life. And so when the Bible makes it painfully clear that the purpose of government is to protect life, when the Bible says thou shalt not murder, when the Bible makes it clear that a human in the womb is a person, then we are conscripted in as much as we live in a government under a government where we have the option to not support pro-abortion politicians and policies to not do so. Um, you know, frankly, Keller's conversation here is a little shallow. I mean, you want to have a trickier conversation? What should a Christian do in a, in a European parliamentary system where every single candidate is pro-abortion? One of them is, you know, but one of them has a better 
family policy than the other one? Do you sit it out? Do you vote at all? Those are the trickier questions here in America. Right. These are softballs and we're whiffing them. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's like we have the option to not vote for the baby killers. So don't vote for the baby killers. I don't right. care if you never punch a ticket for a Republican in your life. And I've been getting this question quite a bit lately. I'm happy to handle it every time. I, I would say prudence and wisdom and stewardship would incline you to vote for the party that intends to end the genocide of the unborn in the United States. Um, and potentially you, you may be in sin for not doing so. God might hold you account for the way you failed to steward a political talent that you're given and you buried in the sand by not voting at all. But I do think it's a positive evil to continue to um, go cast a ballot for those who would perpetuate abortion in our country and our society and are doing so to even um, more egregious degrees as every year goes by. Colorado just enshrined killing your, killing your child up to the moment of birth as, an, as a right, as an inalienable right. Maryland's been debating a, a bill that could potentially allow for parents to end the life of their child post um, post delivery up to a certain period of time. I mean, they're just, they're showing their hand. And so in, in times like these, when it's more evident than ever, and particularly when we're on the cusp of potentially overturning Roe v. Wade and, and fighting a state-by-state -state battle to secure the right to life for the unborn and equal protection under the law, for a, a senior statesman in the evangelical movement, a senior thinker and philosophical figure to be equivocating like this, it's just so unhelpful. But it's interesting, um, you, you say you think he's projecting a little bit, but that, that was my observation too as well. It seems like, you know, his critique is that individuals don't have a coherent, you know, understanding of political theology. But it seems to, to me that for him, the only coherent understanding of political theology is essentially that neutrality that you're trying to say, that basically just, that it's utterly inappropriate for Christians to... Um, basically at, go to the Bible and try to advocate anything uh, in the public square. It's just all up for debate. And like if, you know, like the logic is essentially if, you know, if, if there are some sins that uh, shouldn't be considered crimes, then it's utterly inappropriate for a Christian to think any sin should be considered a crime. And then if you, if you think that there's any way to categorize the difference, then you just have some sort of stunted political Theology, but you know, as you said, it's kind of an interesting um, uh, thought process to to think about him making that same argument if abolition were on the table, or you know, to make that same argument if like uh, voting the Nazis out of power were on the table. It's like you you, you can't imagine that he would be <laughs> there would be any kind of uh, lack of a you know moral clarity at those points. For sure, but, but but for him to be consistent, he essentially would have to be. Again, going back to one of his tweets, he says, "It's interesting." He said, "The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many illegal immigrants to admit to the United States." I mean, it's just like the the obfuscating on these things, right? Like, of course, we're supposed to love everybody. The Bible binds our conscience to love everybody. That's just sort of like a truism. But the Bible actually makes it pretty clear about what the purpose of government is, and and you know. The Bible not only binds our conscience to not support the murder of the unborn, it actually makes it pretty clear to how to best achieve that, right? Like the, the idea of um, God's, God's revelation of law to the Old Testament Israelites in, in Exodus and Leviticus, the, the fact that there's nothing we can learn from those, those principles is just 
again, it's not how we're called to read the Bible. You know, I don't think we should we should bring back uh, the Mosaic law. Uh, I'm not a theonomist, um, though I'm much more friendly to theonomists than many people are. Um, <laughs> you know, but like there's there's the general the general equity of the law that carries over, and Keller just is tossing it overboard. It's interesting uh, when you think about it, like his, the, the standard, I mean, this seems to be the standard move that he makes and he makes it on a regular basis. And it's all, you know, pitting the right against the left and basically trying to, uh, you know, do some moral equivalency between the two different parties. And so on the left, essentially the left is the one who cares about the poor uh, because they, uh, you know, are advocating for social handouts and entitlement programs and welfare and, you know, uh, basic, you know, income and everything else and so they're they're advocating for the entitlement programs and so the left is you know after the heart of jesus in that kind of way and then you know the right has some good things to say too they don't want to kill people but uh what do you think about that uh that um moral equivalence is is it even comparable you know is the left's concern for you know to give entitlements to everyone who is unwilling to work comparable to not wanting people to murder each other what do you think yeah, well, I mean, even even if we were to rephrase it in the best light possible, right? Let's say the left really cares that people live um, live happy and healthy and whole lives, okay? And they're they're willing to spend as much government money as necessary to ensure that for as many people as necessary. Is that equivalent to the idea of whether or not we're going to be allowing um, women to kill their children? for the sake of convenience. And it's not the same thing. I don't know if you guys saw the pictures of the kids that were found from the clinic in DC, but they're Mm -hmm. heart wrenching. And to look at those pictures and say, okay, yeah, this is more or less the same thing as whether or not we should expand like Medicaid and, you know, what you should be able to purchase with food stamps, or do we have universal pre-K? Your moral reasoning just has to be broken at that point essentially the the leftist argument on this is if we can't guarantee you womb to tomb social services, then you might as well knock it out of the womb in the first place. And my goodness, that's so absurd because there are so many, some of our most uh, well-loved American success stories are those individuals, say like a Ben Carson who, who were born in, in hard scrabble conditions and fought their way, you know, to the top of American society to take that away from people because they might not get universal pre-K and to call it a toss up. I mean, that's just absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so this is, you know, this is, I've seen a lot of people who, I think you said this earlier, I can't quite remember, but I have seen a lot of people who, who have read what Keller said and then looked at it and, and their response is just, Hey, this is this is just so sad to see because, you know, in years past, Keller was such a help for me, you know, in whatever whatever way, whether it was I guess his books or just his sermons, whatever it was, they they just they see um they see what the things that he's saying now and they're just really discouraged um reading it. So I guess I, I'm not necessarily one of those people because and it's not because, you know, I I didn't like the stuff that he said before, whatever. I just I've just never really listened to him. I've never really read any of his older stuff, so I just don't have an opinion either way. Um, but 
based off of the stuff I'm reading now, I'm kind of like, well, I don't even know if I want to spend the time, you know, if I want to spend the time reading all that other stuff just because this is so concerning. And so, so what is your, um, what do you, how do you think people or Christians should view Keller in light of these types of, um, claims that he's making? Yeah. Well, this doesn't come across on Twitter very easily. And maybe even as I say this out loud, maybe I should be more, more thoughtful to, to, to caveat on Twitter, you know, a certain amount of appreciation for Keller's ministry, a recognition of his walk with the Lord, his faithfulness in that, you know, and obviously the current health struggles he's going through. So, um, you know, there are people who would say like, Tim Keller's an apostate. I'm I'm not going to say that. Uh, I might, people might cancel me over that. Okay. Um, but I, I go after the ideas pretty quickly and I say, well, this is a terrible idea. So, you know, what should Christians do with Tim Keller here in 2022? Um, well, uh, quite frankly, like just ignore these takes, you know, more or less. Um, I, I, I've heard that potentially it's his sons managing his Twitter account. So I have two thoughts on that. One, if it, if it's his sons that are tweeting these things, and he's not signing off on it. They're doing him a great disservice. Two, if it's him tweeting these things and nobody has pulled him aside and said, hey, Tim, you're kind of torching your legacy on Twitter, then they're doing him a great disservice as well. So, um, so there's Keller, the person. Then quite frankly, there's Keller and Redeemer's um, church uh, structure and planting philosophy that I don't agree with at all. Like I don't subscribe to the way that Keller and Kellerites view um, sort of like winsome cultural engagement and sort of urban church um, was contextualization. And I know folks on the ground there in New York who have a lot of concerns with the way that uh, that their you know his sort of church fiefdom has operated. I think honestly, brothers, the fruit will be shown in the generations to follow that Kellerites will either go apostate, quite frankly, on issues of LGBT and complementarian. Well, you know, they'll, they'll either compromise or go apostate, depending on what the issues are at hand. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't send people to Keller for, um, for polity and for church planning practices. I would not be sending people to Keller these days for, you know, political theology and, and Twitter thoughts. So yeah, I mean, I'm not probably going to hand out Keller books if I'm a pastor or put them on my church's stall. Um, that said, you know, it doesn't mean that people can't read and profit from his books. Of, of course they can, right? Like, um, you know, and I'm not going to like, if I see somebody reading The Meaning of God um, or whatever that famous book is of his, um, I'm not going to go like, no, that's The Meaning of Marriage, Reason for God. I'm not going to go smack it out of their hands, you know? Right, yeah. Um, what about, do you think, do you think that, Tim Keller is demonstrating um, a proper understanding of scripture overall based off of the things that he's said recently or, or, or is it just like, Hey, look, he's, he's just kind of, he's whiffing on, you know, this one topic maybe, but then overall, you know, I think, I think he's mostly in the right spot in terms of, of his hermeneutics. Um, this has so been forth. the kind of thing, though, that he's been doing for a long time. So he has a long history of basically making the same argument over and over again. So this is nothing new. Like in terms of this particular argument, it's always, you know, punch right, uh, coddle the left. And like that's that's kind of his thing. And, and basically just, um, you know, 
that he's done for a long time. But what do you think, William? Yeah, well, I mean, look, some people would argue it's, you know, it's um, thesis, ant- antithesis, synthesis, which always moves us to the left, right? Um, and that's the classic Marxist view of engaging things. And I'm not saying Tim Keller is a Marxist, but he has self-admittedly been influenced by Marxist philosophy and thinking. So, yeah, this whole, like, it's not A, it's not B, it's C, but C moves us closer you know, to the left side of things over and over and over again, uh, it's pretty troubling. Uh, that's more, you know, I'd say like epistemological in terms of scripture, I'd say it seems just like a soft, it's a very soft scripture is insufficient. Like it seems that Keller thinks that scripture maybe only is sufficient and authoritative when it comes to things of the church and is not sufficient and authoritative when it comes to issues outside of the church. Um, and that would be concerning to me for sure. He's certainly been used to great effect to move the Overton uh, window to the left uh, for sure, and that's you know part of his. I I just think that's symptomatic of you know where he's at and what he's doing and what he's been mm-hmm. doing for a long time. So it seems like his sympathies go that way, and I mean I believe he's a registered Democrat anyway, so he's probably just you know telling us why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So so overall, William, you know. Going back to this title question, um, you know, just kind of summarize for us, you know, is Tim Keller right in his response uh, in terms of how we should view politics and Christianity, or does the government have a moral responsibility to punish its citizens for murdering each other? Just summarize for us. (laughs) Yeah, so I would say the way I would say it is that Keller – Keller is setting himself out as saying that Protestant evangelicals don't understand how scripture relates to politics. And he's saying it's a question of principles. It's a question of principle. What's the principle at hand? What, you know, how much of how, what sins do we enforce as, as crimes in society? Um, And I would say that Keller, quite frankly, doesn't have his principles right at all. Um, because he seems to completely jettison the weight of scripture, essentially the systematic theology of what government is from the viewpoint of God, um, accountable to God, ultimately to be ruling in accordance with his principles. You know, when, when the king rules rightly, righteousness shines forth on its subjects. You know, the, the kings were meant to know the law of God and to rule in accordance with it. Uh, and then again, even writing under some of the worst governments um, that they had known at the time, Paul makes it very clear the role of government is to uphold the good and to punish the evil. And those are not abstract things, right? Let's just make this really clear. Evil isn't abstract. The Bible makes it clear. One thing that is painfully clear that is evil is murder. Therefore, the government should punish murder and they should punish it first and foremost by making it illegal. Those are basic principles that Keller just seems to sidestep on his way to like third way street over here. So I would, I would, I would reject it. I would reject it. And quite frankly, I find his double and tripling and quadrupling down with his sigh. People aren't getting this be unbecoming. I mean, he's, he's just wrong. We do get it and we disagree because you're wrong. You know, uh, one thing. One thing I was thinking about um, is, I haven't seen this, but but maybe you have, William. Uh, have you seen him actually 
interact with anyone who's brought up any sort of, you know, objection to his arguments? Ah, that's, I mean, I've seen him, you know, he was like retweeting a guy from the reason foundation, which is not a foundation that thinks through things from Christian principles. Um, who, you know, was essentially saying, again, Christians can't argue from the Bible to the public square. And I say, we only argue from the Bible to the public square. Um, and so, well, not only, not only, I take that back. Um, there are other things that are self-evident in creation that we can argue from as well. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think so. None of these things. I mean, he was just, he just endorsed Greg Johnson's book, on 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 revoice issues in the pca uh, i mean it's just um in a day and age when boldness is what's needed and nuance is often cover for compromise uh, i think it's pretty clear where keller falls on that spectrum well it seems right. i think that's that seems to me to be one of the things that's most troubling about uh, you know what's going on with him as it relates to all these issues whether whether it relates to you know issues related to gay marriage or you know, the same-sex attraction movement or uh, issues related to abortion, you know, all those things that uh, has been basically his position for so long. It, it seems like, you know, the the issues where the uh, battle was raging hot for many, many years, he seems to be constantly on uh, trying to soft-pedal it and, and uh, make space for, like, these issues where that are, that seem to be most contentious in our society. And so it's, he's not the kind of guy that you, that I would ever look to, to think, Hey, this is an example of what it looks like to stand firm and courageous on, you know, any of these uh, issues that the culture is screaming uh, about that is in high handed defiance against. I mean, he's not a model of courage or boldness by any means. And, and it seems like, you know, the only time I ever really hear him talking about abortion and things like that is when he basically, you know, puts it out there as like, um, oh yeah, of course I believe it's murder, you know, uh, kind of thing, but it's not like something that he's really passionate about. He's seems to be much more passionate about all the talking points of the left, uh, as far as that's concerned. And you know, the, the issues on the right, it's more like, yeah, well, of course that's right, but you know, we can all disagree and, and not only can we disagree, but it's kind of inappropriate to, you know, uh, basically, um, uh, make any kind of hard stand along those lines and and everything else. But is that your perspective as well? Yeah. I mean, I think that looking again, looking at these tweets, I'm just going to read this here. He says, I have also never told anyone they should vote Democrat or Republican. Depending on the policy, we can find more or less alignment with biblical morals. I believe all Christians should be active in politics, but it is unwise to identify Christianity with any particular party. All right. So that's his view. Like that's, that's the worldview of Tim Keller to which I just want to say, he clearly isn't paying attention to what these parties are supporting to think that you couldn't say to a Christian that you should not vote for a party when that party is given over to infanticide, trans ideology, madness, a redefinition of marriage, essentially, you know, I mean, just those three right there, let's just stop right there. Christians shouldn't support that. That's painfully clear from scripture. I, I don't know yeah, what Keller's thinking. He, he seems to have no limiting principle. 
Yeah, I mean, you have one party that's essentially the party of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Keller yeah. comes along and, and basically says, you know, it's inappropriate to identify, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah for who they are. But I mean, it's just like, think about every single, I mean, all the issues on the left are just so, I mean, they're, you, I mean, they are step-by-step rejection of everything you find in Genesis. Uh, you know, like, where, where is the redeeming value that you find there? You yeah. know, and, and like the only issues that you like, you can say, oh, well, they may be okay about, it seems like, yeah, but then you have to swallow socialism and you have to <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like, like even the good, like the things they're supposed to be, you know, like a rebuke to the right on, it's like, they're not even actually a rebuke to the right on. So it's, it's like, what, where's the re- redeeming value here? Keller. Hey brothers, my phone just let me know that, uh, and it's not plugged in. It's, it, it's at very low percentage. So we might, yep. you guys might want to like yep. say something that helps us land this plane before okay. I, before yep. I exit accidentally. Yeah. Well, you know, we just, I think where we wanted to end this is basically just to say, look, we're not a, you know, we're not opposed to, um, people who, you know, who disagree with us, who have ideas that are different than us. And so we've been talking about Tim Keller a lot and, and what he said. And, and I think it's fair. He's put public statements out. It's fair to, you know, critique them publicly uh, for the, to, to help equip the saints for the works of ministry and, and help them understand how they should view politics, how they should view, um, you know, the secular world in general and how we need to interact with it. One of the things that, you know, we're more than happy to do is, is, you know, let Keller come on and, yeah. and defend himself if he wants to. Totally, totally happy to have Tim Keller on if that's something that you want to do, Tim. Um, and just just defend your ideas, you know, and we, we can all come on and, and talk about it or whatever. But we we definitely aren't wanting this to be like a, you know, uh, beat up on Tim Keller just for the sake of beating up on Tim Keller. So if anyone's thought that, then that's, that's certainly not the point here. Um, so... Uh, William, you've been you've been really a really good sport answering all our questions and everything, and I, I'm really thankful that um, you've been very vocal about this overall because I think this is very damaging um, to to the church for people to speak this way, the way that Tim Keller is, um, the ideas that he's putting forth. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for just coming on and and uh, fleshing this out a lot for us, and really kind of tearing down some of the arguments that I think are are not helpful from Keller and, and are, you know, ultimately, you know, very weak and flimsy anyways. Um, so thank you for that. Tell, let everyone who's listening know where can they find, uh, where can they find you? How can they interact with you? Um, what, what's going on in your life right now? Well, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, William underscore E underscore Wolf with an E on the end of it. Um, and if you want to talk to me further, you can send me a DM and I'll, I'll painfully lead you on for like three weeks as we try to like follow up on, on that <laughs> as, as I want to do. So, but I will, I will make a good, I will make a good faith effort to be in touch with folks um, who want to chat with me. And yeah, look, I, I'm not trying to bash Keller. His ideas are bad. He's got bad ideas. And I would argue they're unbiblical. That's the point here. He's saying the Bible doesn't bind our conscience in areas like abortion. And I'm saying that it does. You know, he, he, there are places where he would say the Bible doesn't bind our conscience. And I'd say, yeah, I agree with you, Tim. If there were two major parties in the United States that both thoroughly rejected abortion and abortion was illegal, and we were weighing them on a whole host right. of other like economic and foreign policy concerns, then I think Keller's paradigm might be more applicable. But that's not the reality of the world that we live in in 2022. It's not the reality of the world we lived in since 1973 when abortion was legalized. 
until we deal with that, we need to deal with all sorts of other very significant anti-God and anti-creation issues that are sweeping our nation, the Keller paradigm is just, I would say, untenable for thoughtful and reasonable Christians to buy into. All right, William. Well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up this episode on. Uh, We want to thank you again for coming on and also thank all you guys for listening. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to support us in this way. And hopefully this has been something that's been um, helpful for you guys. It's been something that, you know, like, like I said earlier, equips you guys for the works of ministry and understanding how we can interact with, um, you know, with the government, with the governments that God has placed us under. How do we show them respect, but also uh, leverage the, the political influence that we have in order to, you know, pursue righteousness and, and defend uh, those who cannot defend themselves. So um, hopefully that's been, hopefully this has been something helpful for you guys and we thank you and we look forward to having you on the next one. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.